Normally we start with a joke, but I think the joke's just Hollywood at this point. So that's what we're here to talk about today. Why Hollywood <laughs> sucks now. You hear us complain about it often enough, but today we're going to get a little more in depth with why we think the industry is getting worse and worse and worse with time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can think of a few reasons. Uh, so going into our medium shot now, when did you first realize that the film industry was taking a turn for the worse? Um, probably a little bit after the streaming renaissance came out. You know, I kind of knew early on more than most that, you know, I heard rumors that writers weren't uh, getting residuals from streaming because there wasn't rights placed into it because streaming was such a brand new thing. I thought, hmm, that's going to be a problem because there was a writer strike pretty early on uh, from the time that I heard. So there's probably going to be some other controversy that's going to come up later because, you know, residuals are very important, not just for writers, but for actors, for everybody, really. Uh, and not to say that I predicted an entire strike, but I predicted something bad was going to happen. Um, so it was probably around that time. And then just when you just see the trend of most of Hollywood is just producing giant IPs and not really taking on chances like they used to in the 90s or even in the early 2000s where when they do take chances it's mostly around oscar season or it's just something that's so off the wall crazy it becomes phenomenal or just the worst thing ever so and uh, we'll get into why they don't take chances anymore later yeah for me i think the moment i really started to rail against it actively was the last jedi that was the moment that hollywood broke me it was like oh okay so now i i used to see more of the magic in movies and now i'm seeing the machinations behind them this is how we're getting to a certain place in the industry which i'm, I'm probably going to break it down a lot more later i'm being very vague right now i know but <laughs> i just I really didn't like that movie, and I'd been having some problems with the Hollywood apparatus in general for at least a couple of years before that. At the time, I wasn't around high school starting to think critically about the industry I plan to get into in general. Then my first year of college was a lot of film. I mean, I was in film, so we talked a lot about the film industry, and that's when I started to think critically, and I'm like, yeah, we got, we got a lot of problems. And then over time, more stuff came out that started pissing me off to the point where I'm like, why is this happening? Not just one-offs, but so consistently. Everything from the artistic side to the business side seems to be in an awful state right now. And we're just, yeah, we're going to try to break down why today to the best of our ability. Let's get into our close-up and try to figure this mess out. So, where do you want to start? Uh, you got much more research and you know how to read your notes better, so why don't you go first? Sure. And I'll just work off you. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I'll give you some options here. Do you want to start with the the actors and the and the strike, or do you want to talk about kind of the economy of Hollywood? Uh, might as well start with the strike, since it's so just, like, fresh in the, in the world right now. Yeah, okay. So, as... Many of you probably know 
from watching the news, the actors union and writers union in Hollywood are both on strike right now from for the first time since I think 1960. It's been a long time, but they're finally in it together. And from what I'm reading, they're basically in it for the same things for royalties and for the existential crisis of artificial intelligence encroaching on their careers. So the thing about residuals, the important thing is Hollywood often functions based on royalties in that you don't get paid a ton upfront for your job. You, you, do, you do your work, you get paid for it, okay. But somebody's got to put up that money or invest their time in as a producer or just put up their money and, or whatever it may be. People want to return on things. Film at its core, yes, it's an artistic endeavor, which I'm more on the side of that personally. But at the end of the day, it's also a business. People put up money, treat it like an investment. They want to see a return on it. And also the people who invest their time in it as creators want to see their their time and investment returned as well. So royalties are the way to do that. You put you put your time and your money in and you get some back on the back end when they keep showing your stuff. They keep selling the product for all time. I mean, we're still watching movies 100 years old. I don't really know what the copyright laws were like for those back then, but now when you when you reshow things, people keep making money. Somebody's got to buy it. The money's got to flow somewhere. So, the thing is, in the age of streaming, royalties are a fraction of what they used to be for actors and for writers. So, now you're just getting your paycheck for the show, which, mind you, is also a lot lower than they used to get paid on network television. So, your upfront pay is smaller, and your back-end pay is practically non-existent. Which in the film and TV industry is a big deal because it's not consistent work. You do your job, maybe you're lucky to get on a TV show that runs for 10 years, but or a movie that branches off into a franchise. But more often than not, you're doing one-season shows, one-off movies, short films, whatever you can to pay the bills. And we're not just talking about your A-list celebrities here. Most of the people on strike are just average writers, actors, small roles, background characters, little things you'd never heard of. Just the working people of Hollywood who happen to be unionized. These aren't people making ridiculous amounts of money. So when they're in between work, they rely on those residuals. And, well, they're not getting much anymore, hence the strike. Also, artificial intelligence starting to creep up on everything lately. I swear I only heard about AI as a, sci- as a sci-fi fan for most of my life until the last <laughs> couple of years when literally everyone's using it. I'm not really. I've dabbled, but I'm, it scares me. I don't want to get too far into it. Yeah. I'm just like, I do not like the way the world is heading as a creator. So I, even Secret Invasion, Marvel's new show, their opening title sequence was done by AI, which created some controversy because they're like, oh, well, even TV title intros don't, uh, 
you know, you can't get actual artists to work on that anymore. And I was joking about it with Justin, half joking, but Justin complains every time we watch it how long that introduction is for the for Secret Invasion. And then you I point to skip it. Eh, no, not usually. Oh but my God, <laughs> there's a skip intro button for a reason. <laughs> He's got the remote. Anyway, so he he complains every time. And I pointed out to him last time that funny that how the longest TV intro was done by an AI. Whereas if you actually had to pay people to do it, oh, those intros are either like 20 seconds max or non-existent. They just throw on a title card and jump right into it. But now that you have your computers to do it, oh, you're going to do this whole elaborate sequence because it costs you nothing. So that's already telling just with a new show with a property like Marvel how technology is already supplanting actual people doing their jobs. So that's the basis for this strike. And we're not union. I mean, that's, that's the kind of funny thing with us talking about it is I'm, I'm an amateur writer. Ryan's an amateur actor. We both sympathize for the respective unions of which we're not part at the moment. But yeah, you know, this, this could affect us eventually too. I mean, whatever they decide now might have an impact on our future career. So I'm invested. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whatever the union does, the non-union stuff always follows. I mean, not in terms of uh, a pay like you could make. I don't know, you can make $5,000 on a union commercial, but like maybe 100 on a non-union commercial because they don't have to pay you that right. But for in terms of being an actor. But uh, just to go back to residuals, the reason why like writers aren't getting the residuals is because of streaming. You can catch so much more on streaming and there has not been, I think, any... Like they do get residuals, they do. But it is so much less than what they would get on... Uh, cable tv cable tv there's been written rights about residuals but with streaming it's literal pennies it's not that much because all of that streaming goes to the big corporations it goes to disney it goes to netflix it goes to you know all the other big corporations it goes to hbo it goes to the ceos it goes to the people running the streaming sites uh even the um even the actors don't get residuals on streaming there just hasn't been a written policy for streaming yet for it to come out and that's what writers have been wanting for since streaming has entered you know and it just hasn't been produced yet and that's what these writers want and the big corporations are like no you're getting your residuals through cable it's but but nobody's watching cable everybody's on streaming now and you know I've seen dumbass replies like on Twitter. It's like, oh, millionaires complain they're not making their millions. Writers are not millionaires. They literally eat and pray off of residuals. Their initial money up front does pay them well. But the residuals is how they pay for food. It's how they pay for rent. It's how they pay to live. It's like saying uh, to you or I that, hey, uh, we're going to employ you during the holiday hours, which you'll get a big pay, two time and a half, two times and a half. But, you know, when you work throughout the regular days, we're just going to pay you pennies on the dollar instead of your regular hourly wage because we just don't have that in place, which would not be good for us. 
Uh, it's it's just stuff like that, and yeah. you know, it really sucks. Like trying to like even like thinking like I love writing and I love being in, a writer, but do I want to be a writer in a world where I don't get paid to be it in term in in the film industry? I can get paid as a writer in other works like such as maybe um, books or audio form, but to have something be so dismissed by these big corporations is really heartbreaking since even so the fact that keeping in mind that there was a strike not that long ago less than 20 years ago and these big corporations are still you know they've come out and said oh don't worry they'll come back eventually because they want to get they want to make money and they want to get fed it's like no they the union will has backed them up with the strike they have the pay that's why you pay the union for stuff like this. They have union pay as well. So there has to be a discourse. Do people not remember what happened after 2007? Like shit movies came out and Hollywood took a huge, huge hit. And bad year. Yeah. And so, and people don't remember, like the big CEOs don't care, but because all they care about is their taxpayers and, or not their taxpayers, their um, investors and, you know, their own paycheck, but it's literally, it's not that much in terms like the highest person, the highest company to pay off what the union would want would be Disney. And they would only have to take off $74 million from their annual income to give to the writers, which for Disney is nothing. Yeah. So I'm just reading an article here about just for some quick examples. So this article from Fortune talks about how popularity is no longer connected to money for for the residuals. So this this portion of the article, streaming residuals are largely untethered from the popularity of the movie or show they are tied to. Most streaming services are loath to release specific viewership figures at all. Performers say being part of a hit show now has little meaning. Actor Chris Browning appeared in the movie Bright with Will Smith, which Netflix touted as a heavily watched hit. If it was back in the old DVD residuals days, I would have got a $25,000 residual check, Browning said. I got $271 from Netflix. David Denman, who appeared on 31 episodes of The Office, which aired on NBC, said, It doesn't matter if you watch that show once or you watch it a hundred times. You're not going to get any more money because more people watch it. When it was the number one show on Netflix, they're able to make a significant profit off of that. But that doesn't trickle down to the blue-collar actors like me, Denman said. We're just asking to share in the profit when the show is successful. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It's It's the greed of these big CEOs, these big corporations. It's not the fact that they're not making money off residuals. It's that they're the only people making money off the residuals. And that's not right. Yeah. So that's that's a big thing. But let's pivot that into a larger discussion about the economy of Hollywood. I think mm. part of the reason these streamers are so desperate to cling on to their residuals is because they have a terrible business plan to start. They're all failing and they're all clinging on to every dollar at this point. They can't afford to pay people residuals because they're not making enough money for their business. Now, mind you, I think streaming was good in the beginning when Netflix set the model. 
it was, okay, we're going to take all these different IPs and put them on an online library where you can just rent it. It was a video rental service. They used to rent DVDs in the mail and, okay, then they just put their library online. Great idea for a business. Blockbuster, but online. Makes a lot of sense. Then they started making originals. And that's where it all fell apart for me personally. Because, yes, the residuals got acclaim. You had some of their early ones were like Orange is the New Black or House of Cards. You know, Netflix right at the start of its originals. Netflix made enough money from its subscriptions, obviously, to reinvest into these original contents. Which was great for them. Once again, they got a lot of acclaim. They were allegedly good shows. I haven't seen those early ones, but they are making good stuff I like now. But the thing is, their subscription prices never really justified how much money they were investing into these shows. This was high budget, high quality television that they were spending millions on at a subscription price for, I don't know, it started off as what, seven bucks American a month? Yeah, it was cheap. Yeah, and now it's quite a lot more expensive. But at a household price of $7 a month, you're getting very high-quality television, which, for the consumer, fantastic. For the business, they were operating at a loss for so many years. That's why they were always very hush about their uh, viewership records. They didn't have any kind of system like on network TV, like a Nielsen system. So streaming services have always been very hush about their numbers and how much money they're putting out. Like, look at what Netflix has done over the last decade. How many original shows they've produced and canceled after one season, mind you, most of the time. But they seem to have unlimited money they're willing to throw at new TV. But they'll cancel anything that doesn't blow up right away because they can't afford it. They're hemorrhaging money like crazy just looking for their next big hits. And they found big hits. This brings me to my larger point. I think Netflix was a Trojan horse on the Hollywood industry because they they rode into the castle looking like a gift and everybody in Hollywood decided to jump on that. So they all decided, hey, Netflix seems like a great idea. I should make my own streaming service, which... I'll just steal the rights to my IP back and uh, make some original content for the biggest intellectual properties and good to go. We can be, we can beat Netflix in, you know, a couple decades if we're patient. Let's see how this goes. They didn't realize how unprofitable Netflix was, how much they'd be sinking untold millions into their original content in addition to paying the residual fees for people just to have content on their streaming which is why nowadays you're seeing shows getting canceled left and right. You're seeing shows which they own fully being pulled off of all these streaming services entirely, like HBO and Disney have both done it because they can't afford to keep paying people for stuff that nobody's really watching just because it's on their service. So you're seeing like Netflix is cracking down on password sharing across the globe now because uh. they can't because they can't afford password sharing anymore they're losing so much money they got to make sure every household's paying for what it's seeing otherwise they're going to be in deep trouble if they can't make sure that's happening disney plus 
lost 4 million subscribers in its second quarter this year and 2.4 million in the quarter before that, laid off 7,000 of its staff, well, not Disney, but Disney as a corporation laid off 7,000 of its staff to try to save some money this year. Mind you, most of that was because they lost this add-on for that basically showed cricket games, so they lost a huge portion of their Indian audience very quickly. Point is, they're losing consistently. Everybody's losing across the board. I, I saw another article that said Netflix plans to spend $300 million less in 2023 without layoffs or hiring freezing, which can only read to me as we're not making near as many shows because we put way too much into unsuccessful things. We've got to be a lot more choosy about what we're actually doing. So, because of all this, Hollywood invested very strongly into a business model that doesn't work. It doesn't make them enough money for it to be worth it. And in doing so, they royally shot themselves in the foot. Because the way Hollywood was set up in the past, for basically ever since the invention of television and home video, is the three biggest sources of revenue for any. TV show or I'll say movies in particular because that's you know that's the yeah. bread and butter. Was, the three yeah yeah the three biggest sources were the box office, the home home video market, and TV licensing. Now they so keep this in mind. Streaming is basically a two in one home video and TV licensing service. That doesn't make them near as much money as TV and home video. So because they basically rendered DVDs and network TV obsolete, they chopped off two-thirds of what used to make the money. Well, the problem with that is because the reason why they lose so much fucking money is because it's their own thing. Whereas whereas TV rights and DVD rights, it was they had to, they made deals with DVD distributors and they also made deals with the networks. Like the networks weren't owned by Disney. I mean, Disney's probably owned some of them now, but it wasn't owned by Disney. It wasn't owned by Netflix. It wasn't owned by HBO. They were these networks that were, they were the own TV studios or home studios and they were make deals with the networks. Now it's their own thing. They're able to, make less money because they don't charge as much. Like you just said, uh, with cable TV, back in the day, I think it was $60 just to get some of the basic stuff. But if you wanted a Netflix account by yourself back in the day, it was only $7. So when you're not charging the consumer that much, then you're not going to get that much out of it as well. It's Again, like you said, it's great for the consumer, but it's bad on the revenue that you're trying to get back. Well, like you said, it's licensing is what it was. Is because, yeah. like, think about it. If you don't own the company that you're throwing money into or that's broadcasting your stuff, they're paying you for the rights to show it. But now they do, yeah. now you do own them. So you're just, you're paying residuals to the people who made it. You're paying to make it. And you're only making whatever profits you can get back. Oh, and also, there's no advertising on these either. Yep. So at least like network TV got paid for by ads in a, in a mm -hmm. large part. So basically the model, the way the old system was set up worked for a solid 50 years or 
okay, more like 40 before it started really changing in the 2010s. But for 40 years, they had a model of profit and it worked well for them. And then they started messing around with things because Netflix was the new kid on the block who seemed so cool that he jumped off a bridge and everybody else joined him. Because they're stupid. The worst thing Hollywood ever did was release blockbuster movies 45 days later onto streaming after releasing it in theaters. What about same-day releases? That too. It's the worst thing they can ever do because there's so much... With movies back in the day, especially in the 90s and 2000s, Matt Damon, I brought this up before and I steal it off of Matt Damon. He's talked about movies were made back in the day because you could trust this source of DVD revenue. You could trust that. So you could be more creative with it. You could be more risky with the topic you're talking about. He knew Rounders was not a theatrical big movie, but he knew that there was going to be a certain crowd of people to go buy and rent the movie on DVD sales. The worst thing Hollywood ever did was stop promoting DVD sales and to only put them on streaming because you could get them cheap. They made money off of it, but the people who actually worked on the movie don't. Because the people who actually work on the movie get more profit from the DVD sales than the high-up corporations. Yes. How many times have you heard, oh, this movie did terrible at the box office, but it was a cult hit and the DVD sales went through the roof? I mean, just off the top of my head, Fight Club is probably the most famous one. It did terrible in the box office, but slowly gained an audience over time through DVD and TV sale use. And it's one of the most... Famous movies of the 2000s. Exactly. You don't really or get... 99. You don't really get sleeper hits as much like that anymore because streaming mm-hmm. is such a gluttonous place full of content nobody really cares about that a lot of times good things get lost in the shuffle. I can't count how many times friends have recommended shows to me that I've never even heard of that I don't mm-hmm. bother watching because we got too much other stuff, which is... You know, that's that's another conversation for later about how much stuff we're getting. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying about that release window for streaming and note that one of the biggest success stories of the last couple years is Top Gun Maverick, specifically because Tom Cruise fought like hell to make sure that it didn't end up on streaming in the in that short a window. He yeah, was very adamant for like six that, months. Yes. He was very adamant that despite the COVID box office being very bad, that it was worth the wait to see this on the big screen. It would be an experience that would drive people to the theater. And he was right. It's one of the highest grossing movies of the last five years. Did extremely well for them in the box office. Can you imagine how badly that movie would have tanked? If you threw that on Disney Plus, or not Disney Plus, Paramount. Paramount. If you threw that on Paramount Plus the first day, maybe even with a rental fee of like an extra rental fee of 20 bucks, I don't know. Mm -hmm. How many people, A, have Paramount Plus in the first place that you're renting that new movie? And B, are like, it's just, once it's on there, it's just on there. I don't know how long that rental fee would be. Maybe if it was like three months. I don't remember how Mm -hmm. long they were. But you could be renting it. You're basically just playing to people who already have your service and then your rental fee is in a small window or you could be going to a global audience in a in a theater with a system that's already set up that everybody can see it for a, for a one time price. You keep a lot of the profits for it 
it's, you know, and then once it goes on to streaming, then you can deal with that. But once it's like, once it's done on streaming, uh, for that rental window, it's just on there. Everybody who pays Paramount Plus is paying, I don't know, 10 bucks a month. And you can watch Top Gun Maverick along with everything else. You're not yeah. paying for Top Gun Maverick over and over. If you paid Top Gun Maverick in theaters 10 times, then you're paying them 10 times to watch Top Gun Maverick. If you watch Top Gun Maverick 10 times on Paramount Plus, you're only paying a one-time subscription fee for that. Exactly. So my, so my point is they... It's a bad business model. Good for the consumer, but terrible for the profitability, which is why... That's why why Scarlett Johansson was so pissed at Disney for Black Widow, because either day one or 15 days later, they released it with a price tag of like 24 bucks here in Canada for it, but she got no profit from it because she only signed rights for box office. She only... Because that's the only thing they gave her, and they didn't tell her that they were going to release it on streaming because they knew she'd be pissed about it because she didn't sign anything for her streaming residuals because guess what? Stream residuals don't go to anyone except the big corporations because there's just not enough money for it because they keep releasing so much crap, but they don't release it... (sighs) They don't release it in the thoughts of making money. They just release it, oh, we have to keep up putting just anything on our streaming sites for people to stay on it and keep interested in it. Yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah, so it's it's just a bad business model all around. Um, but yes, that's another problem. Let's get into that now. They make too much things. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. is so saturated now that, well, good luck finding anything... That everybody okay. It also used to be they make too much is is the thing. I was looking up some statistics for let's not even talk about streaming specifically, but just the general box office. Now I'm I'm getting the numbers from Box Office Mojo here, just so you can double check me in the comments. But just just for example here, they said in 2002 Hollywood put out about. Okay, so in 2001, let's say, in 2001, they put out about 412 movies based on this site. And the average gross of those movies was 19 million. And the total gross of, the, of that year was about 7 billion. Okay, so then the next year up, they made about 570 movies. So they made about 160 movies more that year. Average gross was 16 million per movie. So we went from 19 million to 16 million per movie. I mean, but you made a lot more movies, so I guess that's, you know, that's a lot that's a lot of profit still, I guess. But even okay, let's jump all the way up to 2018 because that was about the peak. They made nearly 1000 movies that year with an average gross of nearly 12 million. So the average gross per movie has been dropping steadily over the decades because the more movies they make, the more that's out there, everyone's money is being spread across different movies. So, and most of those movies, I doubt, are very successful. I bet you most most of them are box office bombs or lost the studio a lot of money. So the fact that they used to concentrate their efforts onto a couple things, or relatively, like half as many things. Mm-hmm. Like once again, even 20 years ago, it was they're making literally half as many movies as they were a couple years ago. And out of those movies, that was a little bit more focused. It's, okay, we're doing 
these things and we're going to put our A game into them and some of them will make us money, some of them won't. And now they're just like, okay, we're making a thousand movies a year, anything goes. Some of them will do well, most of them won't, but let's make the ones that do well make a billion dollars, two billion dollars. Let's let's push the successful ones and ride them as far as we can to make up for all the other losses we're going to accrue this year. And that seems to be the business plan they're going with now. Streaming as well. Let's just throw as much out there and the most successful ones will hopefully make up for all our other losses. They don't. Not really. Because the rule of thumb is movies production budget isn't really the full cost. So you can take no. a look. So you can take a look at um I don't know, what's 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 a movie? Uh Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny budget because that's out right now. So the estimated production budget is 294.7 million. And yeah, so double that cuz of marketing. Yeah, but it's not just the marketing. It's there's other things in there too. So it and it made 310 million at the box office on a 300 and, so on a 300 million dollar budget, it made 310 at the box office. But okay, so you say the movie made 10 million dollars. Great. I'm sure somebody's happy. Not but, really though because on an average yeah. movie, like an average Hollywood movie, it's usually double the budget to advertise it everywhere even nowadays. Yeah, so even if it's not double the budget, it's ex- other expenses too. They also have to pay the theaters for for tickets. They've got to pay distributors. They got to pay like there's so many people down the lo- like marketing as well is the main one, but you got to be paying so many people down the line that basically the rule of thumb is nearly three times the budget. If the movie didn't make three times the budget, it lost about that much. So Indiana Jones needed to make about eight to 900 million to actually be considered profitable by the studio. And they, they fell short of that by about two thirds. So, you know, you know, that that's another problem we can get into is that they're putting way too much money into these things. Indiana Jones did not need to be a $300 million movie. None of the other ones even got that, even got close to that. You can do a lot more with a little. I think one of my favorite examples in recent years is something like Deadpool, which mm-hmm. let's look up the budget for that. Deadpool was a film nobody had any faith in. It was a budget of $58 million and it made 782. So, you know, whatever happened to the mid budget movie that you could put 50, 60 to 80, like 40 to $80 million into it. And then, make crazy amounts if it was successful people have an appetite for successful things but the problem is like i said you have your biggest movies that are supposed to make up your entire shortfall for the rest of the year if indiana Mm -hmm. jones bombed indiana jones isn't just losing money for indiana jones it's losing money for the dozens if not hundreds of other movies that didn't make money back this year for disney that's why they hate when their tent poles bomb so much because they're losing money for the whole company, not just the one movie. It's a, it's a big deal when these tent poles bomb and they're bombing left and right lately for mm-hmm. reasons we're discussing. 
partially because they released too much of it. People, Indiana Jones has other problems, which I'm going to, there's a whole other section. But uh, let's talk about, well, Star Wars was oversaturation for sure. They released four movies in four years. And by the time we got to Solo, holy crap, a Star Wars movie was unprofitable. We live in a time where Indiana Jones and Star Wars don't make money at the box office. They lost the company money. Can you imagine that? When you and I were growing up, even 20 years ago, the idea that a Star Wars movie would be unprofitable at the box office? Be unheard of. Unfathomable. Mm -hmm. We were just lucky to get these movies at all coming back. It's like, people aren't going to see them because there's way too much. If I want to see Star Wars, I'll just watch The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett or Kenobi or The Clone Wars or Rebels or Bad Batch or whatever million other kinds of content, official content, are out on Disney Plus right now. There's so much of it that people are picking and choosing. We're also in that era, too, where these big companies are relying so much on nostalgia. I mean... Just this year, how many sequels have come out? Transformers, John Wick, even though John Wick was very, very good. Uh, Indiana Jones, Spider-Verse was very good. You know, Dune 2 is coming out. So there's not that much stuff that's new. I mean, we did just see Oppenheimer, which is a very good, you know, uh, biopic, brand new film. It's an um, outlier, though. Christopher Nolan yeah, getting but a who knows? to make a But also, a who knows how much... But also, who knows how much money that's going to make, too? And I don't know if... The young, because to me, I feel like people who the the most popular ages to go see movies are people who are in high school around that college age, and then maybe people around their thirties. I don't know how much the older generation is still going out to see movies. I think They're they not, still are, but how really. many people are, especially our age and people older, just like I'll just catch it when it's streaming because it's easier, so I don't have to go outside. Most people, I know exactly. And that's the the whole point of like why we're saying streaming is worse for the industry. But there's it's kind of it's we're kind of, you know, adding smoke to the flame because there's no way they're going to go back. There's no way they can go back. And there's no way consumers want to go back to cable network television because streaming benefits them. And it's not in terms of money as well. It's not in terms of money as well. It's in terms of just time where in network television, you had to show up watching HBO at nine o'clock at night to watch Game of Thrones or Last of Us, or you're going to miss it. And then you were going to go to the office and try not to hear any spoilers until you could go back home and watch it on the rerun. Now, you can miss it now and catch it on the streaming website, you know, an hour or two hours later, 10 minutes after its release. It's it's it benefits the consumer more in terms of price and time. Yeah, that reminds me of another reason why things don't get as uh, successful anymore is that people aren't on the same page. You used Mm -hmm. to be able to have those water cooler conversations about the show you saw last night at appointment viewing. Now it's you can just watch it anywhere. Netflix ruined TV with their binge model. Because you can get through, like, a dedicated person who's got no life can watch a whole show in a night. And then there's Mm -hmm. me who takes months to get through eight episodes of The Witcher, or however much there is this (laughs) season. But it's like, I'm I'm way behind. By the time I get there, the conversation is long done. And I've been avoiding spoilers the whole time, so I'm not talking about the show to anybody. It's just, la, 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 I don't want to know what's happening in The Witcher. You finished it the first week. I'm still working through it. 
where you didn't get that two decades ago. And that kills the life of the show immediately because half the people are avoiding spoilers. The other half talk about it for a week and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't get time to discuss a show online or in person and just keep it in the zeitgeist for long enough to make it a thing. So yeah. that's, a, that's another factor as well. Things are kind of flash in the pan now. They're here and then they're gone and we move on. Mm-hmm. Also doesn't help that once again, going back, there's just too much of it. So, you know, if there was half as much stuff in a year, we'd talk about everything for a little longer. It would all stick out a little more, but it's like, oh, we got to rush to the next thing because there's too much to get through. I also feel like they're trying to play keep up because of the pandemic. They weren't able to produce that much in 2020 or even 2021. So like, oh, we have to make up for these years. Let's release all these shows and all these movies that were released or that were made in the past two years. And it's just too much for everybody to see or for even one person to see. And you're just kind of overwhelmed. Like I used to be a Pixar fanatic growing up. And now I just know it's going to be either released 45 days later on Disney Plus or sometimes day of, which is ridiculous. Boy, that's awful. Uh, yeah. So, let's see, what else do we have? I have other points here. So, the... Okay, let's get into another big problem, I think, facing Hollywood movies today, which is largely contributing to their poor economic returns. And I think that's gross franchise mismanagement. First off, Hollywood is scared of original ideas because original ideas they don't, don't make, make money off it. Okay, well, yeah. So it's it's a couple of factors here. First off, we're talking about they have, they put out anywhere from 500 to 1,000 movies a year in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And... Of those things, if you're, it's it's kind of like the same reason. I know you go back and rewatch a lot of the same TV shows, right? It's yeah, it's a comfort thing. It's thousand movies are in the box office. Choice is overwhelming, so I'm gonna go with something safe. I'm gonna go with Marvel, DC, Star Wars. I'm gonna watch the things that I I'm familiar with, as opposed to taking a chance on this other random film. And there's a lot of Marvel, DC, and Star Wars to go around. So why would I want to choose this film that I may or may not like when I'm I'm pretty satisfied that even though this franchise will be mediocre, I'll I'll satisfy for mediocre over potentially awful. So I think that's a that's a thing as well. But so now we have that's why these franchises become the biggest in the world and that's so Hollywood does make the little stuff still but they don't make money so they put all their money into the big stuff and oversaturate the market with the big stuff and now that it's like that the cre- you know the, the the creators aren't treating them very well either is the problem they're not good anymore every franchise i've ever liked has basically been run into the ground at this point some yeah. of them have risen from the ground ever so slightly uh, you know, it's been rough to be a fan of anything this past mm-hmm. while. And it's, I think a large part of that is down to the fact that the creators of all the IPs we love have been slowly phased out of Hollywood. 
over the last couple decades. They're all getting old and retiring, or they just stopped caring about the IP decades ago and are just content with letting other people have it. Like, whatever. Like, would James Cameron ever really bother coming back to Terminator? He's still a working director, but, like, he gave up (laughs) on that franchise decades ago. He did his two, and that's it. George Lucas left Star Wars long time ago. He took his $4 billion and he's like, you know, I'm more interested in film preservation. If they want to make more, whatever. And they did. Because, of course, they would. It's a good business choice. But the people in charge now are more concerned with profit than actually caring about the franchise that they're supposed to take care of. They've alienated basically all the core fan base. And what's worse, they they not only alienate us, but then they make us the bad guys when we don't go see it. Mm-hmm. It's not. You didn't go see it because we messed up and it was bad. It's, oh, you didn't go see it because it happens to star a woman or a, or a person of color. Therefore, you, you didn't see it for political reasons and you're a actively bad person or a a toxic fan base in general which you know to be fair a lot of that does happen i see those things get review bombed like if a woman or a person of color leads a a new installment of a franchise it does tend to get review bombed no matter how good or bad it is i like to think i'm willing to give things a chance even though i am biased against new stuff nowadays but it's not but the thing is what they don't realize is it's not that they're adding new people in. It's that most of the time they're disrespecting the old guys. Why is it every single legacy installment basically has the old guy as a, you know, as a washed up, has been depressed, his whole life fell apart since the last movie decades ago. Sometimes he's got a happier ending. Sometimes he's, well, usually he ends up with some kind of heroic sacrifice to give his life. One last little shred of meaning before the new generation can take over him completely. That's the story of basically all of them. And it's like, well, what's what's your obsession with dismantling my childhood and saying my heroes weren't worth idolizing? That they that they're just going to become broken old men and that, oh, the new generation's the real hope for the future. They're the ones who are going to do the real stuff. It's not just oh, my heroes turned out badly. It's let's degrade their entire life, too. I'll tell you why. They were never that movie, good. Because one movie did it, and it made a lot of money, so they copy and pasted for their, all the other legacy sequels. Unless it was the people who actually gave a shit. Which happens on occasion. You do have yeah. your, you know, Cobra Kai's in the darkness. Mm-hmm. They're out. They're out there. But it's happened enough times that even if you could, even if you could tell me even if you could like look at every single legacy installment, give me an entire list right now of like of all the ones and even say, you know what, Joe, most of these weren't actually that bad. They, they weren't that disrespectful or mess it up ridiculously. Like some of these were actually decent. Doesn't matter. It's at the point now where I, as a fan, where many people I know who are fans of just general IPs, the feeling is that they mess things up and we don't care anymore. We're already apathetic. We're already fatigued. It doesn't matter how many were actually screwed up. They screwed up the big ones royally enough that 
we're just cynical about them all now as just fans of movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the number, the actual numbers don't matter. It's just how do we feel? Well, we feel burned. Mm-hmm. And some of us still go see them, but it's just diminishing returns at this point. It's like, who's yeah. Marvel made for nowadays, right? Like, I've been talking Soldier. to... No, not even. I've been talking to my boss about this at work, right? You're telling me Ant-Man Quantumated was not made for children? Well, hear me out here. You know, my, my, like my boss... Like three to four-year-olds? <laughs> maybe. I'm just... My boss at work, right? You know, he's, he's about 38. And he said, you know, I grew up on Marvel stuff. I read the comics. I am, a, you know, I'm a fan... Uh, of these things since I was a kid. I, I was a big fan of these movies when they first came out. Like, great stuff. His kids are about 10 years old. They haven't seen a single one. They don't watch them. And then I'm like, okay. And he doesn't watch them either because he felt burned years ago. He's like, oh, no, the movies went way too far for me a long time ago. They pissed me off. Everyone, all my friends who grew up with it too, they're pissed off. None of their kids are watching it either because I'm pissed off. So I'm basically, okay, so who's Marvel for then? Well, I guess it's for you and me. It was the kids who were about eight to 10 years old when that first Iron Man came out and they've been writing our nostalgia for 15 years. We're only in it because we were there from the start. And even now, our generation's getting more pissed off with it. So basically, Marvel's only playing to us now we're the only ones who still care, and it's just getting worse. The new generation, it's not sticking. It's like stupid movies we watched when we were kids that were like, oh, that, yeah, that was kind of fun, but they don't really care. They're not invested. And I think that's what the new generation's feeling like with Marvel now. It's like, it's something to watch, but they don't, they're not, they don't care. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. I hear what you're saying. So it's just, it's. Yeah, like basically every major IP has been dismantled to the point where all the fan bases of the biggest stuff are just pissed off with the powers that be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a big problem. Anything to say on that? I mean, it just feels like they care more about the fact that the idea that this is a popular franchise, so it's going to be a popular movie. So I don't care how you make it. Just make sure it gets out and then give me that box office. I feel like has plagued Hollywood for the past five, ten years, and it's not helped them out. It's going to kill them. And it's just. What do you do now? Like after the strike, what happens? What needs to change? Not bes- besides actual payment. There needs to be more change within Hollywood just on a creative scale as well. Like, yes. there needs to, there, something needs to change because it's not just superhero fatigue or sci-fi fatigue. It's franchise fatigue at this point. All of them. It's remake fatigue. It's all of it. I mean, even one of the most popular movies to come out in the past five years, Stars Born, that's a movie that's been remade four times. So it's yep. time to start getting a bunch of writers together and try to come up with a brand new idea. If you can't do a brand new idea, get something that is vague enough and then spin off of that. The best way to start writing is to make a log line real quick and then spin off from that. Yeah. 
I think part of the other problem is that we as an audience have been trained to expect bigger and better. So when we see a sequel, we expect more from it. Or even just movies in general. You look at, let's look at, well, we talked about action cinema recently. Back in, uh, you could argue, as I said in that video, that the Lumiere Brothers' first ever movie, the first ever movie was was an action movie, the train coming into the station. That was enough to wow people 130 years ago. Nowadays, you need big CGI spectacle, and there was a gradual scale leading up to that. Like, okay, you know, some some people did stunt work, some people did some death-defying feats, and now you got, you know, Tom Cruise <laughs> jumping off the side of a cliff for our entertainment, or big <laughs> CGI spectacles like Avengers Endgame, like massive armies, world-ending events, Infinity Stones, half the life in the universe gone. This is the stakes we're at now with modern movies. So I think Hollywood's afraid to take a step back and go to basics and be like, oh, exactly. well, we don't, we don't need to keep getting bigger. Maybe that's not what people want. Maybe they just want, I think we need to go small now because, yeah. because we've already, we've hit our peak. We've gone the biggest we can go. I think like Avengers Endgame is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It was the culmination of the 11 years. movie of all time. It's the highest grossing movie of all time. I know Avatar was neck and neck with it. It kept switching, but it, I know that it's one. Pre-releases don't count. <laughs> anyway, it's one of the, it's top two highest grossing movie of all time. It took them 11 years and some of the biggest, highest concepts in cinema history. I think that was the peak. You're never going to get bigger than Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. So stop so, trying so to. So why, why are we trying Exactly. Like, that's the most epic saga in cinema history. What? Mm-hmm. We can't do any better than that. Because it happened once, it could do it again. Money, 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 money. No, it's got to drop. It's got to drop to nothing. We got to we gotta go low. You and I have been and to talking be honest, about... I don't blame I don't blame Hollywood for not coming up with original ideas because it's an over 100-year business. Yep. So, like, how much more ideas can you do? But there will be something that comes around where it is unique, and you just need to invest in stuff more than that. Like I feel like Banshee's Vin and Sheeran would be a much more about to bring that phenomenal up. movie, and everything ever all at once was a phenomenally well praised movie, and it made a shit ton of box office because of uh, word of mouth. I didn't see much marketing from that movie, if I'm being honest. Besides off of Amazon, I didn't see many ads for it whatsoever. I just heard a lot of it from word of mouth. So they need to help. They need to market movies that actually have unique and great ideas and they need to market them well. I'm going to counter you and say that they don't even need to do that. Banshees of an issue to me is a case study and you don't even need to have great original ideas. Just take any idea and do it well. Yeah. It's like people are always so concerned. Oh, there's no new ideas. Uh, Like course they're going to remake sequels. There's no original ideas. No. Every story's been told a million times over. Uh, what do they say? There's only like seven stories to be told in all of storytelling. It's yeah. It's a very it's very limited in what I think you, you can need do. to market it though. You have to market yeah. it though, even well, though no, it was only marketing. twenty million budget. Yeah, and it only made fifty million. That's nothing. 
the point is just get any idea. Any idea can work. Get a good crew together. Get actors who care about their material. Writers who are telling a good, relatable story. Grounded in emotion. And it could be anything from Banshees of Inisherin's to <laughs> two guys on a sleepy island who are just, their friendship is breaking apart. To Star Wars, a space opera about a farm boy who, you know, joins a rebellion against a, an oppressive regime that spans the galaxy. It could be anything, but it's got to be based on an emotional core. Just the detail, it, the rest is just details. Just get a basic story, tell it well, and people will find it. It doesn't need to be. $300 million huge? No. The budget can be as small as $10 million. That's really all you need to do to make a basic movie. But it is, I do, I have to push you on this a little bit. It does have to do with marketing. Because, yes, Banshees yeah. of Inshim was widely successful uh, award-wise. But box office-wise, it wasn't because it wasn't marketed that well. And that could be because of all different reasons. It could be because the distributors were uh, were pushing... Um, Fablemans at the time, or The Whale at the time, or the other few movies I can't fucking remember right now off the top of my head. Yeah. But it just has to be that. I mean, I could compare Panches of Venice Sharon to Pulp Fiction, and Pulp Fiction was just a bunch of these little stories put together, uh, a movie in the 90s, and that box office was probably for $50 million or whatever, that or the budget, and it made $213 million in the in the U.S. alone. And that is a widely popular marketed movie. Yes. Well, I also have a, I have a problem with marketing, though, because I think another problem with Hollywood is that marketing is just broken. Marketing yeah. used to just be a clever way to say, hey, come out and see our thing. Here's a little snippet of it. And if you like it, pay us and you can see the rest of it. Now it's, let's show you the entire thing in yeah. a couple minutes. People are cynical about film and TV because they feel like they've seen the whole thing. Anybody who's seen trailers has had a moment where they saw one that gave them a little too much. And I've heard this countless times. Why should I even bother seeing that now? I feel like I've seen the whole thing. I've been there. I've avoided movies just because of that, because I felt like, what else are you going to show me? This was a four-minute trailer, and I feel like I saw every plot twist in the whole movie. Sometimes they do hide things, great, I, you know, but usually they are just spoiling. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not talking about full-on trailers. I'm talking about ads. I'm talking about posters. I'm talking about billboards, just all that stuff. Minions movies would not be fucking anything if it wasn't for the marketing. And I'm not even talking about the trailers. People could watch the Minions movie trailer and be like, yeah, that's pretty crap. But if they see it everywhere in their town, they see it in their McDonald's Happy Meal toys. They see it, you know, on the way to the mall. Just also, random advertisers here and there. And they're like, hey, that'd be a chill movie for me to go see with my kids. You just know, to have them shut up for a couple hours. It's the same thing, though, even with toys. I've heard many times people got movies spoiled from them just because they saw a toy on the shelf that was being marketed. I remember, I think, 
like Phantom Menace was spoiled for some people just because they had like, I think somebody had, there was like a coloring book with the, with the Qui-Gon death scene at the end, or like somebody bought the record for, uh, for the soundtrack. And well, like, why Qui-Gon, the fuck are you buying a coloring book if you haven't seen the movie? Or like Qui-Gon's death was the last title track on the soundtrack. Or like marketing okay. spoils stuff all the time. I know, I know that's one from 20 years ago, but if you look at like modern movies, I'm sure there's plenty of toys that ruined it for people too. Like character posters can also spoil things as well. Like marketers have to be careful no matter what they're marketing. I don't, yeah. I don't have a problem with marketing as a concept. I have a problem with how it's being done nowadays. They, okay. I hear what you're saying. There's not enough restraint. They'll show you but anything showing, and everything. They're showing no in. restraint. They're showing no restraint with the big box office stuff, but they're showing absolutely. They're showing the most restraint with the actual good fucking movies, like the whale. I mean, that was a great movie, but it was only marketed on the fact that hey, Brandon Fraser's back. It was never really marketed on like here's a, like this great movie that we're doing. Go see this. It's just like hey, Brandon Fraser's back. Brandon Fraser's back. Yep. Like it's not marketed that well it's only the marketing budget is only saved for the franchises i as yeah just marketing is weak all around they spoil the big yeah. franchises they don't promote the small stuff enough marketing is broken it's not it's not a fair playing field anymore it's almost like hollywood is broken yep that's that's the episode <laughs> Uh, let's see. Another thing I think is... I knew thing. Hollywood was officially broken when watching the Academy Awards in 2020. And they basically used Chadwick Boseman's death to sell his likeness and basically say, hey, this is probably the year we're going to give him the Oscar because he died in, um, before. And uh, his last film has been released and he did very well on it. We're going to nominate him for Best Actor. And basically all they did, they gave it to Anthony Hopkins, who did deserve it, but they basically used that platform to sell an NFT of Chadwick Boseman and his Oscar gloriness. It was basically an NFT sale. And that's really what pushed me over the edge. All right, let's go even further on that then. I'm already on record as saying I never felt fine with Wakanda forever, basically just being made to cash in on Boseman's legacy. I don't care that they made it. Everyone talked about it as a tribute to him. The fact that they even made the movie never sat right with me. And it's not just Bozeman. It's they're, they're milking all dead actors. Now, how many actors have you seen? Like the flash is another prime example of stuff coming out right now, bringing back the dead through computer generated imagery, taking the likeness of, characters we've come to know and love with actors who have long since passed away just to earn some cheap nostalgia points it's been mostly a thing since rogue one this is more of a recent development over the last seven years but it's only getting more common i see it getting worse every year and it's making me very worried for the future of the industry because once again we're going back into that nostalgia safe rabbit hole i know these actors I know these characters, new movies aren't hitting the same way, the the box office is dwindling, they can't sell us on legacy characters in a new generation, so they're just going to keep giving us the old stuff, even if it's completely shallow and devoid of human life. Like, they'll... Yeah. Like, and also, 
voice synthesizing technology as well. Like what they can do, they can basically make anything they want. They can, mm-hmm. they can have the like the biggest and best Hollywood stars of all time, the like the greatest hits of the movie industry, just being great over and over. Like you can have Marilyn Monroe starring in a new movie in a couple years, if you really wanted. Just like Hollywood's a game. Yeah, it's, and it's it's not going to get any better. Until, mm-hmm. you know, we with our wallets speak up and say, you know, we don't want this either. We'd rather take your shitty legacy characters over, you know, bringing back the dead or just don't give us any of this at all. Just give us good stuff in general. We like just stop yeah. going down all this road in general. It's, uh, it's very concerning for the future. Yeah, it's quite concerning. Which also brings me to the idea that Hollywood is completely out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. You have these elitist people making the biggest decisions. People who, they don't live at ground level. They don't know what real people's lives are like. They just, to me, this is a two-pronged problem. The first is, I'm going to pick on special effects. And I'm going to say that we talked about this in previous episodes, specifically with Tom Cruise, and that, to me, the fighter jets in Top Gun Maverick, stunt work, that feels good. It's tangible. Real people putting themselves in danger, doing crazy things. Feel it in my gut. It's real. Uh, I should be concerned watching this, and I am, as opposed to somebody on a green screen in a in a spandex costume fighting CGI monsters. I know it's all fake. Or you can even tie that back into the uh, the actors. I know that Christopher Reeve is long dead. It's uncanny valley. It's never going to feel the same as watching Superman the movie. I just I pop back in my DVD and I can watch Christopher Reeve when he was still alive at his best. That's a living human being giving a great performance. It resonates with me. I watch him in the flash and I just see pixels on a screen. I know in my gut that it's not real. It's something artificial and wrong. And it's mm-hmm. there's always going to be something in the movie going audience that craves reality. Even if it's an unreal situation, movies aren't grounded in reality i mean we see all this fantastical crazy stuff all the time but it's got to be based in something real that's why you look at star wars and you say cgi job of the hut look like garbage bring the puppet back because exactly. like slimy job of the hut that was puppeteered looked amazing and the cgi one was just off-putting you know we we need some reality in our special effects but i also think hollywood's out of touch in what what kind of stories people want to see, what kind of characters. Because, well, I, you know, I was talking once again with the guys at work, and I think it was Justin who said that the, I, the whole Hollywood thing right now is they're just trying to shove California down our throats. <laughs> it's like whatever ideals and politics California has, they want the entire world to think that way, or they just don't notice that the rest of us don't or at least not as strongly as they do. Every every film is about 
woke progressivism, basically, on some form or another. It's all about like it's all about radical politics or or there's hints to it, which, you know, people aren't that backward. I mean, like we we all want we all want to be progressivists at heart, I think, on some level. We don't want the world to regress ever. But it's also like, well, the way Hollywood and California do it isn't necessarily how everybody else wants to do it. But you, 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 but Hollywood is kind of our mirror to the world. So they make it seem like all these characters across the globe and all these different crazy situations all think a certain way. But it's like, no, you're just... It's just one group of people thinks this way and you try to make it seem like it's everybody. So we don't see ourselves reflected on screen anymore. We just see actors pushing an agenda, like actors, mm-hmm. writers, producers. We just see, we can see the machinations behind the screen now. We're not seeing, yeah, we're not we're, seeing we're not, stories. We're seeing political movements. Yeah. Political movements under the guise of entertainment, which yep. has always been there. But it used to be more subtle and it used to be more reflective of a wider majority. It used to be more people could relate to these political messages. Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's more of a subset of it's like, well, how many people are disagreeing with you? You make you make the audience feel stupid for being like, okay, so here's a really heavy handed message that you should agree with or you're a bad person. Well, who said I disagree why why does this even this point need to be made at all why is what's this movie even about you know it's just to make me feel like a bad person this isn't entertaining Mm -hmm. there's a time and a place for that but i think hollywood underestimates that people just want escapism at the end of the day if there's a good message at the end of that fine something we can be organically left with fantastic but at the end, at the bare minimum, we want to be entertained for our price of admission, whether that's streaming or in theaters, whatever. We just want to be entertained. That's the whole point of entertainment. That's what you supposed to have been doing for the last 130 years. Make us stuff we'll enjoy. Take us out of our worlds and into yours where we can spend a couple hours or 45 minutes an hour off it's a TV show just these little pockets of our time where we're in other worlds existing with mm-hmm. characters and fantastical situations even if they're more grounded ones just we're going on a journey with you and we don't want to feel lectured at yeah I mean that's like stuff like back in the day in terms of TV why Sopranos was so popular because I wasn't trying to be political, but it was showing one side of not a political side, but just showing one side of how people think that's kind of right winged or very independent uh, way of thinking. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, where it's just their way of life. It's not them trying to shove it down your throat. It's just how these people think and their way in society. Whereas stuff like, I don't know, something modern today, um, like an overly politicized TV where it's very trying to be very woke and being like, hey, you're a bad person for thinking this way. And it's like, I just, I'm not a bad person for thinking this way if it's something that's just kind of right winged. It's just yeah. something that 
is my belief system and we can't just talk about it. It's just, hey, Hollywood has this very leftward ideology. So that means you should have this left-wing ideology. If you don't, we're going to call you out for it. And we're going to call all white men racist and sexist pieces of shit. Yeah. For me, it's, it's not... It's not even that they're bringing up politics. It's just that there's no balance. It's all it's all left wing ideals. It used to be, sure, maybe if the show was generally left wing, that's fine. But there usually was characters who were either centrist or right wing enough that you could still have a like characters would butt heads, have a disagreement. I think of All in the Family is a great example from the seventies, right. where Archie Bunker was the most backward right-wing guy in tv history probably but his daughter and his uh and his son-in-law were more you know they were like baby boomers liberals like like nearly hippies and a huge part of that show was just them getting into disagreements all the time over over the politics of the day you know his son-in-law was like man you're so you're such a backward old man he's like wow you're such a arrogant youth (laughs) you know but like it was it was kind of even back and forth it wasn't like yeah archie bunker's 100 percent a bad guy it's yeah you know he's got a little outdated opinions but we should still hear him out sometimes he's got some points and the guy who's got all these left-wing ideals isn't always right either he's got points he's got drawbacks there was more balance it was a debate now Mm -hmm. it's just if there are if there is a character with an outlying opinion it's usually just one character they're treated as the a monster and everybody piles on them until they either are driven off in a grand finale or they come to see the error of their ways and fall in with the mob yeah once again not saying any political beliefs are right or wrong one way or the other i just think We've lost just the, the problem is there's no conversation anymore. Yeah. And there's just yeah. no more there's no more equal exploration on each side. It's just mostly left wing stuff. And not to say the left wing stuff is bad, but there's just so much of it that there's no counter. The right wing yeah, there's no counter. You it. can't counter a left wing argument without being called a fascist. Exactly. Even if it's or a, a centrist opinion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It doesn't even need to be right wing, it just needs to be right of left. Yeah. Which, yeah. And this is what we don't want to see anymore in our entertainment. I mean, yeah, give us in our entertainment in small doses. I mean, it need, the politics needs to be there. Otherwise, it's, you know, entertainment's less interesting. But it's in everything now. Can we just get politics out of the mass majority of stuff, bring it back to basic entertainment? That's all we need. Yeah. So... What else? Okay, and the other thing about that is cancel culture has also ruined Hollywood because on both sides. Because I think for for one thing, social media in general, um, and I'm, I'm going to credit uh, the critical drinker for, for this take because I, I saw this in one of his videos a while ago and it resonated with me, is basically... In the past, we used to give this aura of mystique to celebrities. They were these larger-than-life figures we invited into our homes. We went to see them in theaters. We were like, oh, they're really talented people, so good at their job. They seem pretty cool. They live these 
luxurious lifestyles, which we can only imagine. Cool for back then. Now, social media has it so we see their every stupid thought. We see them in interviews all the time. We hear, we we read every dumb tweet they ever wrote. We have gotten into the lives of these people enough that they're not glamorous to us anymore. They're just as dumb as the rest of us, maybe even more stupid and out of touch. So we don't, we don't glamorize celebrities anymore as much. We, we, we kind of pity them. We make fun of them for sport. And couple that with cancel culture and this rising tide of politicism where everybody has a cause and you're either you're you're boycotting movies for your cause it's like oh well i hate uh, ezra miller so i'm not going to see the flash you know (laughs) that's just one recent example or um i don't like that uh ariel's black in the little mermaid i'm boycotting one boycotting the little mermaid or whatever like for whatever reason your side's on whole groups find reasons to boycott movies for politics or they don't like the actor or whatever so that's another reason hollywood's getting ruined is it's just the audience and hollywood are both all too political everything is seen as a greater extension of some political movement now a movie can't just be a movie it's a cultural touchstone for something or other Mm -hmm. people can't just take it for what it is i mean cancel culture has brought up a lot of bad people but i think it just does more harm than good in terms of they try people yeah it's a witch hunt for people when they just have a different political view or most of the time it's a joke or a statement somebody made 20 years ago or it's something about someone's past that happened 20 years ago and people thinking that they're the exact same person that they are today. And it's just, it's just not true. Yeah, cancel culture. So now, studio, so now studios are afraid of taking chances on people, but just also they just put out the most mundane shit so there is no risk. And that's the worst part about it. You know, with risk, there does come, you know, some bad stuff, but there's no reward without risk. Yes. Yeah. Without risk, you're just making what we yeah. have now, just a slew without of Without risk, mediocre. you're just making a vanilla, you're just making a vanilla like cake. Yeah. And it's not even like the best one. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just a slew of mediocrity. Yeah. Let me see. I can describe the average film we get today is let's see it's based on an ip that used to have a white male lead and is probably a female minority starring in it now uh it's like three hours long it's gonna premiere on streaming or go to streaming really fast it's um the marketing spoiled the entire thing Somebody's boycotting it probably because it has a, a minority female lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to sum up everything. That's the worst thing about, about social media is that it's added a lot of voices, but it's added every single voice out there in the world, which so happens to be the loudest yeah. ones or the worst ones on both sides. Yep. 
So yeah, just I'm just, I just kind of gave this is what a typical movie looks like. Oh yeah, and it's full of politics. So that's yeah. This is basically what a typical movie looks like nowadays. There's no care put into it. It's just content. And mm-hmm. uh yeah. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting tired. <laughs> I think we need to wrap up <laughs> unless you got something else to say. It's been a long day. I mean, Hollywood, all you like literally what you have to do is pay your writers, pay your actors, stop taking sh- like actually market brand new budget ideas, budget well. Like you said, Indiana Jones did not need to be a $300 million movie. No Endgame way. was only $200 million. Exactly. Okay. And the reason it was $200 million is because they're putting all these A-list actors together. And they thought, hey, if we put that much money into this movie, then if we put even more money into this movie, they'll make that much money. It's not how it works. It's all about time. It's how you use it. I will gladly take less shit coming out each year if the quality is better. Quality over quantity any day of the week when it comes to film. Because at the end of the day, film is an art form. And if everything looks like a coloring book, then it's all shit. But if once in a while we get a Picasso, then I'm happy. Film's also a business. Don't lose two-thirds of your revenue just for the new hottest thing on the block. Mm-hmm. you gotta stop streaming find a way or make it better make it worth everyone's while stop doing what you're doing or you're gonna run everything into the ground financially and then there'll be no room for creation left either just yeah. things have got to change and the reason I've got some hope is because this has happened multiple times before in Hollywood history I think the most recent example is the 60s when in this time I think early in the early 60s the actors and the writers both went on strike as well but the 60s were also a time when the biggest west the biggest genre out there was the western and let's compare the western to the superhero movie of today it was the biggest of its time and started seeing diminishing returns and Hollywood was like what the hell people have always loved westerns why are they bombing now well because you made way too many of them a year they're generic they're cookie cutter they're not very interesting anymore all your directors are aging like from the golden age of hollywood all your best directors are aging getting phased out epic movies like cleopatra and like they're bombing at the box office you're losing crazy amounts of money tv is eating into your box office profits because you haven't found a way to make it to get a cut out of TV yet. So people are preferring to stay at home as opposed to going to the theaters. But then in the seventies, we got this massive reinvention of the system. They figured out a way to get TV licensing deals. Uh, like home movies started becoming a thing. So you got home box office, an entire new generation of directors came in Lucas, Spielberg, Coppola, Scorsese. This entire new wave of directors replaced all the Golden Age guys and brought with it a whole slew of fresh and creative ideas that they that we've basically been riding the wave on till today. They had they went smaller. They went back from like giant like giant budget movies to like 
taxi driver and like <laughs> they went gritty they went street level they they stripped down to the bare basics and went back to character went back to story we've history is repeating itself we've done this all before just 50 years ago so i think if hollywood can pull itself up we can we can get a new golden age like the 70s and 80s and 90s again in the next couple decades if uh the stars align i have hope just cuz it's happened before it's basically the same scenarios yeah playing out all over again i hear i'm just worried cuz with streaming we're just too far gone i feel in terms of releasing everything all at once and i think like the cons- in consumer wise nobody's going to go back to cable or find something else cuz it's too convenient for people no but there has we- to be a way for the uh corporations in terms of releasing products onto streaming that it's more quality than quantity and consumers will wait and if they don't want to wait for streaming they can go out and see it in the theaters or if they don't want to wait for it uh, or if they can't wait for it to come to streaming then they can buy a dvd of it yep the way i see it the current system everything they're doing isn't working everything from how they're treating their actors to their fans to the politics to the movies themselves to their uh to their financial plans business plans everything is wrong right now Mm -hmm. so what they can do is they can either take what they have and make it work or they can burn the whole thing down and replace it with something better doesn't have to be all at once it can be a slow burn i don't care but if streaming's not making you money, you either figure out a way to make it money, make it make money, or you invent something new. Or go back to the old thing, but that's not likely. Just money will find a way. Yeah, for sure. That's what they're doing. They're in, Hollywood's in a rebuilding period now. That's why everything's getting mm-hmm. slashed to hell. And, you know, actors and writers, we like, you know, they, they hate it. But from a business perspective, it makes sense. You're slashing everything. You're cutting all costs. You're, you're ripping all your fat out from the ground up. And um, then they'll figure out a way to be sustainable. And then mm-hmm. things will start growing again. Well, let's hope. Yeah. Well, <sighs> You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thoughtplay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where hopefully my voice will have recovered. I hear it's getting pretty <laughs> raspy. Till next time. Take care.